Please be seated. Uh, if I have said this once, I will say it a thousand times, all good things come from New England. And uh, today's speaker uh, comes from there as well, our preacher. Uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, I, I was attending a little church right down the street from my seminary called Christ Church of Hamilton and Wynnum. I wanted to uh, discern to become a priest, and on my, the committee of people that were formed to help me answer that question was Marjorie Kinley, uh, who has since become the Reverend Marjorie, Marjorie Kinley, uh, and she is, uh, she's done remarkable things in her life uh, since becoming a priest herself. She has served as assistant at uh, Redeemer, uh, ch the Church of the Redeemer in Chestnut Hill outside of Boston, or in, in greater Boston. She's also served as a chaplain at the Episcopal chaplain at Harvard, and now you are the, are you the associate the uh, associate? She's now the associate rector uh, at St. George's, and it delighted me when she uh, moved in about a mile down the street from where you know we come all this way, and we wind up living about a mile away from each other because she is a fine priest, uh, an exceptional preacher and an even finer friend, and I'm glad that she has agreed to come and preach the gospel to us uh, this morning. Thank you, Marjorie. Well, thank you, Sammy. Uh, it is, it's true that our God is a sending God. And he often sends us places we never thought we would go. But uh, he is also a God of compassion and of companionship. And so it wasn't a surprise that when we arrived here, there would be a friend. So thank you for being a friend, Sammy. Many years ago, our family had a marvelous dog named Cleo. She was a gentle and rather submissive creature friend to all, but a very vigilant barker. She had an interesting nightly ritual of stationing herself on the landing until the very early hours of the morning, when she would decide her duty was done and she would hop up onto the foot of the bed and go to sleep. But one evening, when my husband Richard and I were out, we got a call from the babysitter that Cleo had bitten our son. One of her sharp fangs had made a puncture in his three-year-old cheek. We were all greatly surprised and, of course, very distressed. We wondered if we would have to get rid of Cleo. Interestingly, our three-year-old was not in favor of this. He said that he had stepped on her by accident. He was actually watching the movie Dumbo and he was dancing uh, and, and backed up on her and he said it, she was surprised. Well, we called in a dog expert to come and assess the situation. And after listening to the description of the event and spending some time with Cleo and our son, the expert diagnosed the situation. Dogs, unlike humans, have a layered set of lids over their eyes, kind of like blinds and shutters. When they sleep, 
They keep the blinds open and the shutters closed. And this means that they're able to see shadows and stay awake, even while they appear to be asleep. It's what makes them good at guarding while they appear to be resting. But when they get old, they close both sets of lids. And it means that they can truly be startled when awakened suddenly. They will react in fear and aggression because they have not correctly interpreted the situation. What was the solution? We kept Cleo, but when we saw her sleeping in a place that we had to pass, we called her name loudly to wake her so she would know it was us, the owners of the house, who were coming by. This morning's gospel lesson is one of several parables that Jesus tells about the need for us to stay awake. Because at an unknown hour, and yes, it is unknown, that is the point, we can't calculate it. At an unknown hour, the Son of Man will return. The Lord is coming. He says it again and again. My husband was doing some work uh, this past week uh, getting people to vote, and uh, one of the messages he heard was, God bless you, Maranatha, he is coming. <laughs> Jesus says again and again, the Lord is coming, and we must be ready. This particular story is about a wedding. It has many details that reveal wedding customs of first century Palestine. The setting is the groom's house. The ten maidens would have been especially honored to have been chosen to welcome the groom and bride back from the bride's family home, where he would have been in negotiation with the family. When all was settled and the dowry and other financial arrangements had been agreed upon, he would bring her back to the banquet at his house. The maidens would escort the happy couple into the feast with these beautiful torches, sort of a variation on those long sparklers that people now sometimes hold over wedding couples. But of course, then it was actually not just decorative. It was necessary to have the torches. We've already heard that five of these maidens are wise and five are foolish. To the alert reader of the Old Testament, we recognize that Jesus is using some stock figures from Proverbs to make his point. In Proverbs, we meet Lady Wisdom and Mistress Folly. Lady Wisdom exemplifies an obedient, godly life of paying attention to priorities, the Lord, charity, and faithfulness. Mistress Folly is distracted by all the silly, seedy, ultimately fruitless and destructive temptations that the world has to offer. Jesus, for the purpose of this narrative, has turned Lady Wisdom into five wise maidens and Mistress Folly into five foolish ones. Both groups fall asleep because the groom is delayed. 
But then at midnight, a shout goes up that he's coming. The wise maidens trim their lamps because they've prudently bought extra oil. But the foolish ones didn't bring extra oil, and so they ask the wise maidens to share. But the wise maidens say there might not be enough. Now, some of you may be thinking, how self-serving and greedy of those wise maidens. But tradition doesn't really warrant that interpretation. The wise maidens are concerned for their friend's wedding. They want to make sure he and his bride are welcomed properly and that the bride doesn't trip on a rock and do a face plant or something undignified. And if they share their oil, all the lamps might get extinguished at the key moment. The groom appears, the wise maidens accompany him to the feast. Later, the foolish maidens knock on the door, but the groom says those dreadful words, I never knew you. Well, The meaning is pretty obvious. Don't be a foolish maiden. Always be ready for the coming of the Lord. Live your life in view of the fact that you might need to give an account to the Lord Jesus. Because, in fact, we will. Whether it be at the Lord's coming or at our own death. My father is an estate lawyer and a man who delights in proper grammar, and he often corrects clients who say in the writing of their wills, if I die, I would like to, not if you die, he would gently remind, when. If you know Jesus as your savior, well, that's the most consoling of thoughts, that our life confession is made to him and him alone. Because, of course, our Lord Jesus made his priority a rescuing mission of mercy, knowing fully exactly who you and I actually are. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. That includes all of you. By making peace through the blood of his cross. But the question we might ponder is, what does it look like really to stay awake, to be awake in November 2020? What does it mean to be awake in the midst of covid in the midst of global economic unrest, in the wake of an historic election. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I listen to the news, wondering if the world is still all in one piece. What does it mean to be awake in the midst of whatever family dynamic you are personally experiencing right now? Or whatever loneliness or Whatever temptation is pulling at you, I don't need to be prophetic to know that there is something pulling at you. What will it look like to stay awake, to exercise our will, our feeble will, 
our fleshly, feeble will so that we will attend to what is most real and important. Well, I have two pictures. One is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three of the disciples accompany Jesus to the garden where Jesus will tell them, keep watch, i.e. stay awake, and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And they, of course, fall asleep. This happens twice, and Jesus finally wakes them, just as Judas comes with the temple police, who are armed with clubs, to arrest Jesus. Peter, no doubt caught off guard because he's been sleeping instead of praying, takes his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the servants of the chief priests. We find out in the Gospel of Luke that the servant was Malchus, and Jesus actually healed his ear, even in that whole tussle. He touched it and healed it. Jesus was paying attention to his heavenly Father. In this situation, staying awake meant praying into the will of God, and that is what Jesus was doing in the garden while his disciples were falling asleep. And contrary to all natural instincts, his heavenly Father was directing him to drink the cup he did not want to drink. Jesus prayed at first, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. And strangely, it would seem he didn't hear a word. So he prayed another prayer into the silent garden. My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, let your will be done. In contrast to Jesus, who stayed awake and gets his directive, we have disciples who fell asleep who were not paying attention to their Heavenly Father's will and who therefore reacted in fear and aggression. When the mob arrived, much like our beloved old dog, Cleo. Staying awake in this account meant praying, listening for God's word of direction. If the disciples could have had a redo and prayed, they would have been prepared to behave the way Jesus behaved at his arrest. Of course, in some ways, they did get a redo. They did give their lives to the Lord. And they did receive their cross in time. Well, this garden image is one of the most dramatic and true paradigms of staying awake, but I'm going to share one more in closing. It's fictional, but for whatever reason, it speaks to my soul, because often staying awake does not seem in the moment to be so dramatic as the Garden of Gethsemane. It seems a feeble little act of will. The story is from The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. The scene is an underground chamber. A prince, Rillian is his name, has been kept captive by an evil enchantress. She's convinced him that there is no life above the underground world. Her magic is strong, but for one hour each day, he remembers the beauty and goodness of the world above, Narnia. In this scene, Rillian is awake. 
He remembers Narnia. He remembers his own purpose as heir to the throne of Narnia. And he is straining against the ropes of his silver chair. But just as the rescue party who were there to cut him free, just as they start to cut the ropes, the enchantress returns. She throws an intoxicating sleeping powder into the room, and they all begin to forget the urgency of the moment and the beauty and purpose that beckons from the world above and from the lord of that world, who is Aslan. The sweet smell of her enchantment is working until the most unlikely member of the rescue party, Puddle Glum, the marsh wiggle, runs to the fire and puts his webbed foot in the flame. The putrid smell of his rubbery flesh brings them to their senses in a flash. The queen's power is overcome. A strange little act of bravery from an unglamorous hero whose primary attribute, if you have read the story, is his faithful readiness for any eventuality. Stay awake, says Jesus. Be ready. Pray. It is the way you will know how to act. It will prevent you from lashing out in ways that are counter to God's own purposes. It will encourage you to send an important email and restrain you from sending a potentially disastrous one. This world will discourage us, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. There is more glory and more goodness and more joy and more love prepared for us than we can imagine. Amen.